we want to highlight another black leader in the church. Um, you know, at the Hills, we try to build, um, we want to be ethnically and socially diverse. And so we want to take time to highlight different black faith leaders that we should be learning from. Um, today, we are going to talk about Latasha Morrison. Um, I can see everyone's like, who's Latasha Morrison? Guys. Um, so in 2014, Latasha started, um, I'm going to say an organization called Be the Bridge. Um, after the death of Trayvon Martin, Latasha realized that her multi-ethnic church in Atlanta was actually not the norm for churches throughout the United States, that, that especially in evangelical churches, it is still very siloed, right? Like, you go to white church, you go to black church, you might go to your Hispanic church. And um, she realized that that division was, like, killing people of color. Um, and she bravely and graciously started looking for jobs at majority white churches and got white people. I'm just going to say, like, we really need to do some reflection on the amount of, like, grace and love and bravery that our brothers and sisters of colors have shown sacrificially over the years to, to teach us and show us. And we need to be grateful for that. Um, so there's actually a video where Latasha shares some of her own story. So I'm going to get out of the way and let her speak for herself. And then after that, our sister Gigi is going to come uh, share the word with us. I am Tasha Morrison. I am the founder of Be The Bridge. This story started when I was in the 11th grade. I always ran for leadership. And so when you ran for leadership, you had to take a class. And when we were going around giving ideas, I said, I want to do a Black History Week celebration. It looked like that was the stupidest idea ever. Like, why would you celebrate Black history? And I remember thinking, I didn't have the words then. I didn't know how to articulate what I felt. And I think that was a seed, a spark, to really want to know all of me and all of my story and all of the story of those that have gone before me. I was on staff at a church and I was having a conversation with a lady. She was older than me. She started talking about her experiences through desegregation and some of the students that she encountered and some, some of the fear that she had. And I remember her saying, and what Lincoln did to the South, because people love their slaves. And I remember thinking, how could you put that in a sentence together? And at that point, there was just anger in me, but then there was just sorrow also in me. And then there was just pity in me. The fact that she thought that and that she would say that to me, an African-American. The only thing I could muster to say at that time to her was, when you love something, you set it free. They didn't have freedom. Their God-given freedom, they did not have. People do not give you dignity. God gives you dignity. And their dignity was stripped from them. They didn't have choice. That's not loving someone. And so this romanticized view of our history has been a lie. We don't truly know each other. There's not going to be any restoration. There's not going to be any reconciliation. And so I wanted to see what could I do? How could I bring people together, specifically in the church, 
to have this conversation and really tell the story, the true story of the African-American experience. And then how do I extend that beyond being an African-American, but tell the other stories of other marginalized groups? I can't tell their stories, but I can invite them to the table also to tell their stories. Today we have over 600 groups, an online community, over 16,000, and lives are being changed. People are being reconciled to one another and understanding the true history of America. And truth is what makes us free. What we need is a collective conviction as a country. And that's what I want Be The Bridge to be for people, a way for us to move forward with collective conviction towards racial reconciliation. I am a leader. I am a bridge builder. All right, I love what she said in that video. If you love something, then you set it free. Today, I think that's what I'm gonna be talking about. Just the love of God and there is freedom in him. So over the past few weeks, we have been going through the Lord's Prayer, which can be found in Matthew 6. And I am going to be taking apart, give us this day our daily bread. Which immediately when I started thinking about this, it was okay, God provide, the Lord provide, give us this day our daily bread, okay, Jehovah Jireh. If you've never heard that name before, that is a name of God that was given to God by Abraham back in Genesis. And it just says, the Lord will provide. God is our provider. And I love that God can use something that was said so long ago to the people of God. He can use that to reveal himself in new ways today, to his people today. He didn't just speak to those people and that was it. He didn't just show up in that way to those people and that was it. He continues to speak to his people today and reveal himself in new ways to his people today. God provides. So my community group, or I think the Hills, they call it the meetups. Um, well, our meetup, our community group, we started reading Francis's Chan, Crazy Love. If you've never heard of this book, it's pretty good so far, but I've heard wonderful things. It's kind of old, I think. It's been around for a while. But we decided, like, hey, let's read a book together. So we started reading Crazy Love. And the first chapter focuses on how big God is and being awed by God and taking the time to actually sit and be awed by him. And I want you to think about this question. When was the last time you were awed by him? Was it last week? Was it last year? Was it this morning in worship? Or when Jeff got us together and started clapping? We have got to take the time to be awed by God. Because this is what I've noticed, and maybe it's just me who has done this, but sometimes we think of God as like a, a pocket God, okay? Now, is anyone familiar with Polly Pockets? 
Okay, boys, you're probably like, what's a Polly Pocket? But women, you probably know Polly Pocket. I used to want to have one when I was little, but my mother never bought me one. But essentially, what it was is this little bitty world that could kind of fit in your pocket. And it was a world for Polly. And Polly was just this big. And I really don't know why it was such a big thing, because who wants to play with something this big? But The idea is you have a little world, you can fit it in your pocket. And that's how sometimes we view God. Like, okay, God, I'm going to keep you in my pocket, and I'm going to take you out when I want to play with you. Or in our case, really, I'll take you out when I actually need something from you. But we don't take the time to actually sit and say, whoa, God is big. My God is is big. He is the God of the universe. The universe is over 96 billion light years in diameter, and that's just what scientists project it to be. He is the same God that um, created the human body and our vast complexities. Okay, think about the human brain, one of the most complex organs that we have. There are all like 86 around, 86 billion neurons in our brain, and they're firing at one another and communicating with one another and sharing information with one another. There are over 8 million species on planet Earth. Our God is big. He is big. And when we don't see him that way, then we limit him to this little pocket God, and we only take him out when we need something from him we got to take the time to be awed by him. And so I was thinking about that. After our community group had left, I was like, Lord, I, actually, I haven't thought about that in a while. So I'm sitting down on my bed, really crouched over, and I'm thinking about God and how big he is. And I'm also praying, like, Lord, you know i got to preach soon, so I'm going to need this big God to provide me with something. What you want me to tell your people? And so I'm thinking about how big God is, and I'm thinking about him providing for me. And then I just start to say the Lord's Prayer over and over. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I'm saying this over and over. And then I start to see this funnel. And there are certain words that are highlighted within the Lord's Prayer that are really popping out at me. Here's my funnel. I decided it'd be better if I actually tried to do it on the computer than draw it because I'm not a good drawer. I probably couldn't even draw two lines coming down. (laughs) And what I started to see was this progression towards man. Okay, so here's this funnel, and it's this progression towards us, towards human beings. And I started to see the story of Jesus within the Lord's Prayer, the prayer that he told us to pray. And so before I dive into all of this, what this means, I want to take some time to go back. And you know, I love story and analogy. And Jesus and I, I guess, are kind of connected in this way because Jesus was a storyteller. 
or maybe you want to call him a parable teller, but he spoke in story, and it's because story connects us. We are able to find meaning within story. It's not about just the data points and the five takeaways that the modern church has become. It was about story and getting this connection so we can have this revelation of like, oh, what Jesus, Jesus, that actually connects with what I'm going through right now. <laughs> I may not have understood it, but now I do. So I want to provide this story that I saw within the Lord's Prayer. So I want to go back to Matthew 3. So the Lord's Prayer is, is found in Matthew 6, but I want to go back to Matthew 3 really quick just to build some context. So we see in Matthew 3 that Jesus, he's coming on the scene, and he gets baptized by his older cousin, John the Baptist. Now, if you know anything about John the Baptist, you know that he's a pretty eccentric man. And if we saw him in modern times, we would probably say, oh, maybe I don't want to hang around with this man. <laughs> he was very eccentric, right? And what John the Baptist did, he would say, the kingdom of God is at hand, telling people to repent. And he was the preparer. He was to, pre prepare, to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. That was his job. So then Jesus comes, and what does John the Baptist do? He baptizes Jesus. Then Jesus decides, because he was prompted by the Spirit, to go out into the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights. He's out there. He's fasting. I'm sure probably getting a download from God because he knows why he was sent to earth, and he knows that his ministry has just begun. So he's out there fasting, praying, and wouldn't you know who comes on the scene but raggedy old Satan. Here comes Satan in Jesus's ear. Oh, Jesus, you see those stones? Oh, you could just turn those stones into bread. And Jesus says, these are my words, okay? Pish posh, you know? <laughs> Man can't live off of bread alone. <laughs> like, back up, Satan. I know what I've come to do. You know, and so then after Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days and for 40 nights, he comes back on the scene. And what happens to John the Baptist? John the Baptist is now moved out of the way. He is now imprisoned. Because remember, he was the preparer. So now Jesus is like, okay, I'm walking out and I'm about to start my ministry. So then Jesus, like any good leader, he's going to go out and go get him a team. So he goes recruiting, right? So he's going out and he's like, oh yeah, you a fisherman? Oh, yeah, you a fisherman? You're going to come with me because I'm about to make you fishers of men. So he gets his disciples. And then he starts going around, and he's setting people free, and he's praying over people, casting out demons. <laughs> and then he decides to go up on a mountaintop, because by now he's built up this following, right? He goes up on the mountaintop, and then he delivers this long, beautiful sermon. And they call it the Sermon on the Mount. And within this sermon, you hear Jesus using this prophetic voice where he's calling people to, don't you see the desires that God has for you? You also see this, this wise man, like a sage. And he was asking people to live virtuous lives. And then you also see, you see him instructing people, being a teacher. And that's exactly what he did with the Lord's Prayer. So nestled right within the Sermon on the Mount, you can find the Lord's Prayer. And this is what he instructs 
his people to pray. He says, this is how you are going to pray. So the Lord's Prayer, and this is now where I want you to start thinking about the progression, okay? So the Lord's Prayer has two parts. This first part, which is our Father who art in heaven, think about these pronouns that are being used. Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So this first part of the Lord's Prayer is directed towards God and his holy. It starts with our Father. Jesus is saying he's not just my Father. He is ours. He is one that we all share together. You have now been grafted in. He's not just mine, but he is ours. But he is in heaven. Heaven is not a place that we can just get to in our earthly bodies. So how are we going to be connected with our Father? There's this vertical relationship here. Our Father, who is in heaven, but I can't get to you. So if I can't get to you, then you have to send something down. Then it says, hallowed be thy name, but holy is your name, God. We lift up your name, and it is holy. Now this is where I want you to think about a step forward, or in this case, maybe a step down. It says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus went around preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist had started it, and then Jesus took it over and said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus was bringing down that kingdom. It started with Christ's death and resurrection. He was bringing that kingdom down to us. And then it says, thy will be done. It wasn't just about Jesus' will. It was about the Father's will. And the Father's will was be, he wanted to be reconnected to his children. Because in Luke twenty two forty two, this is before Jesus was crucified, Jesus says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. The Father's will was to be reunited to his children. And that had to be done with Jesus coming down. So now we see... Next slide. So now this is the second part of the Lord's Prayer. And now I want you to pay attention to these pronouns because I've, I've noticed that the pronouns shifted because the first part was directed towards God and his holy. And now this second part of the Lord's Prayer is directed towards us and our needs. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is just another step forward with God moving in on his people, coming down. Give us this day our daily bread is not just this prayer for provision and our physical needs, our physical sustenance. This is our Jehovah Jireh the one who provides. 
If he is our provider, that makes me the one who is provided for. He is our Jehovah Jireh, and he is providing. So what does it mean, give us this day our daily bread? What does this represent? What is this bread? Really, we should say, who is this bread? Jesus is this bread. So I want everyone to pull out your Bibles. They're underneath the seats, or pull them out your pockets. Go on, brush your Bibles off. Go on. I want you to turn to six, or John 6.35. So John 6:35 it says Then Jesus declared I am the bread of life whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty But as I told you you have seen me and still you do not believe all those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away for I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. Jesus is the bread of life. Give us this day our daily bread that's Jesus. He's the bread of life. And when we pray, give us this day, give us denotes this responsibility on behalf of our Father and a trust on behalf of us. Now what I mean by that is give us, and it can kind of sound demanding, because, you know, if a child goes to a father and he's like, give me water, <laughs> you know. But actually in the Greek translation, give us, there was um, like a please attached to it. So, you know, it is a little respectful. Like, please give me, give us our, da our daily bread. But it denotes this responsibility over his children. And... I'm a Googler, so I Googled, what does it mean to have responsibility for? And this is what Google said. If you have responsibility for something or someone, or if they are your responsibility, it is your job or duty to deal with them and make decisions relating to them. God is a father who took responsibility for his children. He did not just leave us here and say, okay, guys, figure it out on your own. He said, no, they're not getting it. So I have got to take, I got to take responsibility for them. So he sent down his son, Jesus, who accepted the blame and accepted the negative consequences on behalf of us. 
Now, really quick, I want you to think about the modern world and our view of parental responsibility. So I was raised in a home with a pretty fearless mother. And I remember when we would sometimes go on walks or if we would just be anywhere, really. If she saw a child acting what I call a hot mess, <laughs> she, and she didn't see the parents, but she just saw this child acting a hot mess, she would go up to the child and she would say, where is your mother? It was never the father, right? It was, where is your mother? And here's the child looking. But what she was trying to say is, who, someone needs to come take responsibility for this kid acting a hot mess. Someone has to come and take responsibility for this child. That is what God did through sending Jesus. Now, maybe you don't think that you have a hot mess, but I know that I do. I know. <laughs> but <laughs> I needed someone to take responsibility on my behalf because I can't do it by myself. Because if it were up to me, then I know I'd be going to hell. <laughs> and it's not that I'm so bad. No, it's because I'm a sinner and I have sinned and you all have. But it was like, who is going to take responsibility for this child? God did that when he sent down his son, who is the living bread. He is this big father. That's what Jesus wanted you to grasp. He is a father and he took care of you because he has already taken care of you. It has already been done in Jesus. And it's just like, Lord, and this is where it's like this trust part. It's like, Lord, we come to you because we know that you can provide something for us that we cannot provide for ourselves. And his ultimate provision was through Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus became the daily bread, and it also says daily. Like, we need him daily. Daily. That means put him in your practice, your daily practice. That means getting up a little earlier and spending time with him so you don't have the hot messery. <laughs> okay? And God has really showed me that I need this. He's like, Gigi, you are a bit of a mess today. You're angry, you're irritable, you're irritated, and this isn't even like my time of the month. It's just what I am. I just woke up like this. You know? And then Greg, my husband, is like, okay, like, did you check in with God today? And, you know, I'll have my excuses. I was busy. But really, I don't want to. <laughs> whatever, whatever it is. But God has told me. He's like, just, you, it won't be like this if you just get before me, sup with me. You know, that good old Christian lingo, just sup with me, get before me, get your daily bread, get your daily fill. 
It's going before God and saying, but God, today, I am dependent on you. Today, I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring, but today, let me just be dependent on you, and I need you to fill me up. I need my daily bread. I need my daily portion. Okay, are you guys still in John 6? Okay. I want you just to scroll on down. I want you to go to John 6:50. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at that last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Now, um, first of all, <laughs> we can change that slide now. This is how I may have been looking at Jesus. Like, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> you know, what you talking about, Jesus? Can you imagine? I may have been one of those Jews. Like, this man is saying, eat my flesh, drink my blood. And you know what? Sometimes folks like to act like they got it all together and they just know Scripture oh so well that they understand all of these crazy things that are happening. But sometimes you don't understand it. And you're like, Lord, what does this mean? <laughs> like, show me, please. Because I know if I were there, I'd be like, Jesus, no. How are you going to do that? <laughs> eat your flesh. But you see, our relationship with bread is a lot different than what the Israelites' relationship with bread is like. So, really quick little analogy. I have a girlfriend on Facebook. What's great about Facebook is you haven't seen people in like 20 years and you still think they're your girlfriend. So I still call her my girlfriend from high school even though I haven't seen her since high school. So I have a girlfriend on Facebook and she has the cutest kids, and she's Korean, and she just posted this cute picture of her daughter, um, a little baby, and the daughter is eating rice. And the caption said, some Asian stereotypes are so true. We have rice one meal per day, <laughs> you know, rice at one meal per day. Now, I bring this up because just how rice is a very important staple in different cultures of the world where it's so important. It's like, yeah, we eat that all the time. It's rice. <laughs> you can have it for breakfast, you can have it for lunch, and you can have it for dinner. Well, that's how bread was to the Israelites. It was an important staple and an important food group. And even more than that, God, Jesus was trying to like, build this connection because he knew because he lived in this culture, he was Jewish, and he took part of his daily eatings of bread too, he knew, like, okay, I want you to draw the connection here. And for those of us who don't know that 
When I say that it was an important staple, it was actually more than that. It was also this symbol. So the, the Jews or the Israelites, they would always have 12 loaves of bread present at the table at the tabernacle. It was the offering table. They always had 12 loaves of bread present, and this was called the show bread or the bread of presence. So every Sabbath, the priest would come in and he would take out the 12 old loaves and refresh it with the, two, the 12 new loaves. This was a symbol of a covenant. Okay, I got that, but why? It's because when the Israelites were taken out of Egypt, out of the bondage of Pharaoh, and they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, God provided. God provided their daily bread. Here's what's great. God didn't say, Here's your manna from heaven. Now you better collect it all and go store it up for 40 years. He said, no, I'm going to provide for you daily. Now watch me work. Every day you are going to come out and there is going to be a new outpouring of my blessing, a new outpouring of my provision. You don't got to store up. It is coming forth every day. So that is the connection Jesus wanted them to see. Do you not see just how God provided for you for those 40 days, for those 40 years? I will sustain you. I am your daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread because I need you. I need you to sustain me. I'm not worried about tomorrow. I'm focused on right now and what you can do in my life right now today. This is a prayer that you can just only just take out just this portion of the prayer and cry it out to him. This was a prayer I wish I knew and just wish I had made these connections years ago. When I was going through a hard time, when I had just lost two babies, and I was feeling so broken, like, oh, God, myself as a woman, I just, I'm a broken person. Not only that, but I was in a broken, ugly, emotionally abusive relationship. That's where it's like, give me my daily bread. When I had anxiety and fear, that's when you want to cry out, give me my daily bread. Because I know that you can provide. I need my daily fill today. Because I don't think I can make it through. This is a humble cry, you guys, to your daddy, to your father. It's a humble cry. It's saying, I can't, I, God, I need someone, I need something because I can't provide it for myself. I need someone to wrap me up. I need someone to make me feel small and then feel big. I need something or someone. I need my daily bread. So when you think you can't pay your bills, that's when you go before God and you said, give us our daily bread. Give me my daily bread. When you don't know about your kids because they're acting a hot mess, you say, Lord, Give me my daily bread. When you are feeling lonely, 
and like no one sees you. That's when you go before him and you say, but God, give me my daily bread. I need my daily fill today because you are the bread of life, of life, and I need life in my bones. So give me my daily bread. And maybe some of you have never tasted this bread. Maybe none of you or some of you have never experienced how good it actually is. We are going to have this time of communion And I want you just to reflect as you're going up to take the bread and to dip it into water. I want you to think about, Lord, how have you provided for me? How have you shown up in my life? How have you been my daily bread? The Lord's Prayer There is more to it. There is this story, this beautiful story. It's more than just this thing that Jesus said, pray, pray like this. There's so much more to it than that. It's the story of God being our Father. And we couldn't get to him. He's in heaven. He's at this distance. We couldn't get to him. We needed something to come down. So he sent his son, who is the bread of life. And his son was broken for us and bruised for us. So communion is a time where the bread was broken just like how Jesus was. God desires to be reunited with his children. And that is why he sent his son. He is our Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider And it's more than just the physical sustenance that he can provide for us. That is why we can go before our daddy and boldly, boldly cry out, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, give me my daily bread.